0: Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Can I just uh, welcome, if you're here for the new t- first time, you're really, really welcome at Freedom Church. Hope you've enjoyed. We have um, been going through a little mini series. We started uh, at the beginning of this year doing 1 Corinthians, which is not a mini series, that's a long series. So we took a break and took a mini series. We call it Mustard Seeds. And these are sayings of Jesus that we uh, are looking at simply because. Next slide, Nick often in Christian life. And the next. Uh, It's Rick Warren who actually says, when it comes to uh, Bible knowledge, we often know quite a lot. You know, we can quote a lot of verses. But actually, when it comes to living them out, lots of us don't live out what we know. And if we can just start to apply just a few of those things, then actually I think we'll see huge change within the church. Um, I think his actual phrase, the only parts of the Bible we believe are the parts Mm -hmm. that we do. Okay? So a little bit like Matt said, he is telling his own notice. If we listen and do not do, it's a little bit what I'm talking about today. But I thought I'd just start by reminding us of last week. I dread to do this because this might tell you how bad my preaching actually is. It's not a test, but it's a sort of test. So I was speaking on uh, Matthew 6 last week on Do Not Be Anxious. And we looked, at, we looked at three things that we're not to do. Three things that we are to do and three things that God does in this passage. What are the three things we're not to do? Anyone shout it out? Do not be anxious. Okay. Three things that we are to do. By, by the way, that was three. Do not be anxious in that passage. Three things we are to do. Look at the birds. Look at creation. Look at God's provision. What he's done for us. That's a later one, Bob. But you've got, you've got one of those points there in your head, which is good <laughs> enough for me. Consider, consider the lilies of the fields. Um, so again, just consider God's provision that there are millions and millions of animals and plants that God provides for every single minute of every day. That gives us great confidence. And finally, what else are we supposed to do? Seek first his kingdom. Man, my preach was good last week, wasn't it? <laughs> Seek first his kingdom. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? And then what does God do for us in this passage? If you weren't here last week, you're sitting here really smug going, Oh yeah, <laughs> he feeds us. He feeds us. He clothes us. He clothes us in beautiful robes of righteousness. And he, I think Bob said this one, he knows, he knows all of our every need before we even know it ourselves. And he is the provider God. So we can have full confidence of these things. And this morning, I'm actually going to end... Looking at actually some quite difficult teaching. Again, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, what a great sermon it is of Jesus. And I'm going to be looking at kingdom life and kingdom works. And this can be a really difficult uh, subject to tackle because as we think about that relationship between being a Christian and doing good works, there are some complex layers um, to this debate that go on, and some some interesting arguments around this. And if I was to ask you today, do you think good works are necessary for the Christian? I think even if you've been around, if you've been a Christian for many years, oh. I think the chances are, you're probably going to be answering something like, well, yes, in this way, but no, in that way, and no, it, it, it doesn't really save you. And so this passage is going to help us to look at what this topic says when it comes to actually kingdom works, the works of the kingdom. We're looking at Matthew 7. If you want to turn to your Bibles at Matthew 7. This is going to really help us just to understand this slight tension that can be there when we think about God's grace and kingdom works, Okay. The tree and its fruits. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. but the diseased tree bears bad fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruits, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruits. Every tree and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And these are really difficult passages, aren't they, to read? Um, probably because we know ourselves, and we know actually we can be foolish at times, we can hear and not do many times. Um, but this is to bring some confidence, actually. Jesus is speaking this, to bring confidence to his disciples, to you and me. And he uses three great pictures along this. He uses the wolf in sheep's clothing. He uses different fruit trees. And he uses the wise and the foolish builders. And um, these pictures are are great for some. You learn through that pictorial understanding. He's told a story. But for those who don't, just thinking about what this passage means, I've put down three points here that we're going to work through. And I believe the passage is telling us that kingdom works are essential for Christians. Kingdom works are obedience for Christians. And kingdom works, and this final one is, is the gem. Kingdom works are natural for Christians. Okay? So my main focus is going to be that third point there because this really is gospel news that Jesus is bringing to his people. And I think we can get really, really excited about that third one. And a little excited about the first two. But often those first two are can be a little bit confusing uh, for many Christians. So I want to touch on those and then focus on the third. So the first one. Kingdom works are essential for Christians. I don't know what it's like if you're a teacher in a classroom and you're telling kids what to do. Um, but I know, for my kids around the house, often when I tell them to do something, it can feel a little bit like it's a optional extra, take it or leave it. That can be their mentality, even though I'm saying this isn't this isn't something I am offering you to do. This is something I am asking you to do and do it now. And I think when it comes to uh, the Christian walk, uh, because we are disciples of Jesus, because we're following Him, that's what it is. When it comes to what Jesus says and doing them, I want to say it's not an optional extra, okay? It's not something that we can take or leave. And it sounds obvious, doesn't it? But I want to just say and show how the passages show this, okay, in this this little area. So verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So essentially, we will be recognized by our fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does. The one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. And um, I guess that is basically saying, it doesn't matter whether you think you know Jesus. You can think that you know him. But if you don't do what he's asking you to do, He's going to turn around and say, I don't know you. And verse 22, it sort of extends that and um, expands on it. Um, Many of you will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I have never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so what they work at, what they do, really matters what Jesus is saying. What you do in life really matters. And um, then we've got the builders, haven't we? The two two builders. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And essentially, this is about what we are to do. And I want to say this, it's not everything, but it's clearly very important when we look at this passage. We need to do what God wants us to do. Okay? It's not everything, it's not the pinnacle of everything, but Jesus is saying there are consequences in not doing what he has asked us to do. Secondly, kingdom works are obedience for Christians. So what are these kingdom works that we're talking about in this passage? What does it mean to be obedient to kingdom works? Um... Sorry, I had put those on animations, but it's obviously not working, Nick. Um, Verse 21. Uh, I want to say this. Kingdom works, why am I talking about them being obedience? Verse 21 says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's obedience to the will of the Father. Verse 24 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them so you hear what Jesus says and you do it. And that's what this obedience. It's nothing complex. It's nothing theologically out there. It's not some distance theory. It's very simple, listening to him and doing what he says. Okay? And that's why it's obedience. And I want to split this obedience. I think Jesus uses in this passage three contrasts to help us to understand what this obedience looks like. Okay? Um, and how something is obedience or not obedience. And so you've got verse 15. We've got this analogy of um, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So the reason I'm saying it's about obedience because it's not about dressing up to make you look like you're a Christian or a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is using this contrast, isn't he, of a wolf who is a hostile predator to sheep. Dressing up like one of his sheep. And, I mean, that picture there, you can see, it's actually quite realistic. Um, And when I looked online, there was lots of pictures. Some, you think, how on earth does a wolf look like a sheep? Come on, get real. Um, But, um, that one there actually does look quite realistic. And you can see this predatory style to it. And, you know, my kids have numerous superheroes outfits that they love dressing up in. Um, and often when they dress up in them, they suddenly believe they are Iron Man or Superman. Fortunately, they don't go jumping out of windows because we've to train them that you don't actually have these powers. And you know, that's something that's, that's quite fun. But I want to say this analogy, this contrast that Jesus is bringing is a lot more extreme than just trying to dress up in clothes and thinking you have the power. This contrast that he's bringing is a, is a warning it's a danger to the church. Okay? Uh, the wolf's intention is not to become a sheep like a child wants to become the superhero. A wolf's intention is to devour and eat the sheep. It's to de- destroy the sheep, the herd, the cattle. And um, who are these wolves in sheep's clothing? I just... It's a really difficult one because... Um, when we when we question this and we say, who are these wolves in sheep's clothing? Are there any here? I think when we're talking about someone coming in to devastate a church, I can give you an example of um, someone who I think was a wolf in sheep's clothing. My dad came to Christ when he was 16 or 17 and he joined a community, a Christian community. And um, he would say, and he now leads a church, just to say, he would say that he became a Christian, all of those foundational doctrines that he needed to know um, were imparted to him through this Christian community. And they lived, they lived um, on a farm, I think a working farm, all together, and it was, um, it was a community that had come over from America, and it was just starting to get big, in the UK, or, or, or actually at that point it was pretty small. About a year later, my mother joined, uh, came, became a Christian through the evangelism of this Christian community. And um, about another year later, my parents decided that there were some things going on in this community that just didn't feel right. And even in uh, lack of experience or understanding, potentially, because they were young Christians, they recognised there was something clearly not right and um, they were fortunate enough to get out they just had their first child Uh, I think they were both 19 at the time and um, one of the doctrines that came in was essentially my parents first child was the first child born into this community and so there's a doctrine that this child was going to become the community's child and everybody would hold responsibility for this child and it was not going to be my parents child, and you can understand why my parents thought maybe this is not quite right and um, actually it 's very you know there 's a warning here because it can be it can be a very um fine line of using doctrine and using scripture to manipulate and to change some of those things going on so it 's about twenty years later that this Christian community, or what became known as a cult, um, was exposed. And it was exposed because during that time it had introduced um, prostitution uh, or flirty fishing, you might know it as. So they used to send men and women out to, onto the streets to evangelize, and they would bring people back into their community and sleep with them and try and keep them in that community to help grow it. And that was a common practice. Um, and this then led also to paedophilia. And what they do is they distorted God's view of sex, okay, being, being this um, this great thing that God has created. And they distorted it into being, well, surely this is for everybody. And I want to say just on that, I think when we're looking at wolves in sheep's clothing, he would be a prime example of a wolf in sheep's clothing and the guy who ran this cult he was from America and he'd come over and I think some of the telltale signs was this all became about his gifting okay and the whole focus was on receiving this guy and making sure that everything you did was for this guy the focus had become on him not on Jesus okay and um Yeah, I think it's very subtle at times. And that's why you've got this warning, you know, to watch out. Um, And so essentially, what what are we learning from this passage, the wolf in sheep's clothing? Acting and putting on a suit does not make you a disciple. What makes you a disciple is doing it. Okay, doing what Jesus says. The second contrast then, verse 22, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Wow. (laughs) Another challenging passage. Essentially what he's saying is those who work mighty miracles and don't do what the Father wants, so it's this contrast between those who do mighty miracles and don't do what the Father wants and those who do what the Father wants. And we must be clear here, because there are certain things the passage can tell us and certain things it can't, that doesn't mean that those who do miracles and prophesy are wolves in sheep's clothing. That is not what it means. But what it does mean is that those doing miracles, who are driving out demons, who are prophesying, that doesn't automatically mean you must be a Christian that's what this is saying pursuing successful Christian ministry is not the same as following Jesus and just think about these folk in the church these aren't folk just coming in at the end or I don't want to use the back row for you guys on the back row who are sitting on just warming pews shall we say they are active participators performing many miracles. And yet Jesus says that he doesn't know them. And that's what truly matters. It's that thing there of knowing Jesus, of being his friend. Judas Iscariot, we know he drove out demons, he healed the sick, He got alongside the other disciples, but he still went to his destruction because his heart was disobedient and restricted towards Jesus. So I want to say this, experiencing God's power is quite different from knowing God's Son. Experiencing God's power is quite different from knowing God's Son. The third contrast then that he uses Is this verse 24? Obedience is not just hearing the word, you must do it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fore of it. So what's Jesus saying? Essentially he's saying about obedience that we're looking at on the second point. He's saying obedience is not just dressing up as a Christian. It's not just putting on that persona, turning up on a Sunday morning and joining in with the crowd. Obedience is not just working miracles, it's not prophesying. Obedience is not just hearing the words. You must do it. And so we've got these first two points there. Kingdom works are essential. That's what we've learned. They really do matter. Jesus looks at what we do, and they have consequences. And secondly, obedience to Jesus is kingdom works. What are the kingdom works? It's our obedience to Jesus. And those first two, when we look at those alone, if we're honest, they often look like many other religious systems and thoughts. You know, it could be Buddha or Muhammad who had said either of those. Do this and do what God wants and you'll please them. But it's really important that we look at this third thing that Jesus brings to us. Because it's the one thing that makes Christianity totally different. It's the thing that brings the very grace, the gospel, the good news to us. So thirdly, the kingdom works on natural for the disciple. Because God has given us a new nature. The kingdom works are natural for the disciple because God has given us a new nature. So this means they come naturally. So are grapes gathered from thornbrushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Just ponder that word cannot. It cannot A healthy tree cannot produce bad stuff. A bad tree cannot produce good stuff. You see, you don't see thorns growing on fig trees. And you don't see figs growing on thorn bushes. Because it never works that way. The reason for that is that the very nature of these two trees, these two types of plants, are so fundamentally different that each one will necessarily produce what is natural to it. And it's never, ever, ever going to produce what is unnatural to it. And the difference between Christianity and every other religious system is marked out by this kind of analogy. Because say that again. The difference between Christianity and every other religion is marked out by that kind of analogy. As a family, we often go to Speak Hall because we're National Trust members. And um, they've got a great garden there, haven't they? And in the garden there, they've got fig trees and thorn bushes. And um, we often go and see it different seasons to see what's going on with the, the plant life there. And often as I walk past... You no, things that I can say. As I walk past the brambles, I notice that there are never any figs on it. And as I walk past the fig tree, there are never any brambles on it. The thorn bush will never produce figs. I want to say this, if you're truly a disciple of Jesus, you will naturally produce good fruit. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus, no matter how hard you try, you will never produce good fruit. And so I notice, as I go through this garden, that firstly the fig never produces brambles. Secondly, it doesn't seem to have to try very hard to produce figs. It's not worrying about, am I going to produce figs? It's not straining as hard as it can or working as hard as it can to make sure that this season it produces figs. Instead, just by being the fig, by remaining in its roots, by staying where it is and receiving the sunlight, it produces figs naturally. as part of what it is.
1: And the same goes with
0: the brambles. And what a lot of religious systems do is they approach the bramble type person, shall we say. Somebody who is producing works that maybe aren't good, that are prickly. And what they will do is they will challenge this person and exhort you to produce a bit of fig. And they would say that when you really strain and you try hard and you change all of these things about yourself and you produce produced a tiny bit of fig, then God will say, well done. Now you've become a fig tree. And this is how a lot of religious systems see the relationship between works and the religious system. It's works-based. We can work our way to please God, to produce the things that he wants us to produce. And we just need to keep working and keep working and keep running and it'll all be okay. And as Christians, this passage totally blows it out of the water. It says something totally different. We would say that that's absolute rubbish The tree can strain and strive, it can go on as many courses as it likes, it can go to seminars, it can buy all the right things that it needs, but it will never produce even a tiny bit of fig because its very DNA needs totally overhauling and replanting and rerouting even to produce the tiniest bit of fig. You know, you could leave it in the ground and you could shout at it. You could talk to it. You could woo it. But it cannot produce fig. It doesn't have the right nature, does it? And Jesus is actually saying here in this passage, what you need to do is to become a totally different type of tree. What you need to do, or what you do not need to do, is to remain the old type of tree And just try harder. If that tree wants to produce figs, it needs to die. It needs to fully die, get a new seed, a new root, and then it will produce that fruit. And that's so powerful, folks, as we hear this, because this is the message for you and I. It's the gospel. Because Jesus is essentially saying to us, you don't need to try more and more and work harder and harder to become loved by him. To become acceptable. What you actually need is a completely new nature. And he is the one who will provide that for you. He will do it. So what are we learning? Jesus isn't teaching good works are important. And that's it. Every other system in the world believes that. If it was that alone, he's not preaching that good works don't matter at all either. He's preaching that the only way to get good works is to be changed from the inside, to get a new nature, totally new DNA, to become a new type of tree. Straining or trying harder is just not going to cut it. Fillmore says this. You can't see it, so I'll read it out for you. He says, No one can be saved through their own obedience, but nor can anyone be saved without obedience. For the faith that saves always produces fruit. Do you know, I love seeing Freedom Church I love seeing what God's doing. I love seeing the fruit that's being produced here. As I look around, I see men and women who are obedient to Jesus and the things that he's asking. I see, just as Ellie, you felt God calling you to go and do something new. Just that obedience to to go and do it is remarkable. And that is a sign of the fruit of the kingdom in your life. Jack, just as you with your knee have heard this word from a fellow member of the church to be patient, and you're believing this is God speaking to you, I believe this is a sign of the fruit of the kingdom in your life. Nick, just seeing just the way that God has continued to use you through trial and suffering over your brother of that grief and actually seeing him speaking to you and seeing your heart grow in love for him is a sign of the fruit of the kingdom in your life. To hold firm, to cling to him even more, to be steadfast. It's a sign of the fruit of the kingdom. To see our kids' workers investing in my kids who can be hard work at times is a sign of the kingdom, the fruit that comes. To see the worship team diligently leading us into worship and praise is a sign of the kingdom. It's the fruit that we get to enjoy. In Freedom Church, Angela, just seeing how you respond to Kira in serving the poor, in something Jesus has asked us to do, It's a sign of the fruits of a kingdom in your life. I'm going to conclude with um, a hymn by a guy called John Berryridge. And he says this, he says, Run, John, and work, the law commands. Yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings it bids me fly and lends me wings. What's he saying here? This um, is essentially saying the law bids us to run and to run and to run. And he says, I'm trying to run, but I don't have any hands or feet, to run with. So it just doesn't work. And at that point, you might declare, well, surely the gospel would then say, surely, running silly, you don't have to go anywhere, so stay where you are. Surely that's God's grace for you. But the power of what he's written here, and it's why it's quoted so much and so often, is it says, no sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly, and lends me wings. You see, the gospel actually raises the standards of what it asks of us. And that in and of itself is terrible, terrible news. What? You want us to do even more when we see that your people throughout history could not even manage to live under the law? But then it bids me fly and it lends me wings. God provides the wings to fly. So we've got this. It's bidding me fly. The standards have been raised. And as I said, that in and of itself is this sort of mission impossible? What do you mean I can't live like that, Lord? I want to say, as we get to that point, as we declare to God, that just sounds so impossible, Lord. I want to say, that's where he wants to get us. He wants to get us to that point where we stop trying in and of ourselves. Where it's out of our reach totally. It should be totally out of your reach to live the way that he's called you to live. And I think it pleases God when we recognise that and we say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. And God essentially gives us these wings so that we can soar and we can accomplish these new heights so that you and I can do what we never could do under the law. And that final contrast is just so powerful. So when we hear Jesus' words say, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say, do not even lust. For some of us, it's a bit like, whoa! That's impossible. I think Jesus would say, yes, it's impossible under the law. But you need to become a new tree. And you will find that when you become this new tree, you will find the fruit you produce is fitting. It's aligned to that new nature. He bids me fly, but he gives me new wings. I finally want to end just with some words, um, some final words of the Buddha, of what he says, and Jesus. And one is a man trying to help people get to God, and the other is the God-man who came to rescue us. Okay? Buddha says this, work hard and gain your salvation. Those were his final words on his deathbed. Work hard and gain your salvation. And Jesus, as he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. The difference in those two statements are just worlds apart. They are vast. We have a God who has accomplished everything for us. So that all of the straining, all of the working to prove our righteousness are not needed. He is the righteous one. As I mentioned, him clothing us, he clothes us in his robes of righteousness. And as we apply this, I want to say, let us be obedient to God. Let us do what Jesus is saying when we're hearing the word of God let's try this whole series is about applying the very word of God in our lives but let's expect as God has come and he's changed and he's transformed and he now lives in us he has given us a new nature and there's something here of you trusting him trusting his words That you have this new nature. That this isn't something that you need to try and work really hard at doing. This is something naturally, as we uh, enjoy him, as we hear him, as we read his words, he continues to bear fruit through us. That is the gospel good news today for you and I. This is totally natural for those in Jesus Christ because he lives in you.